Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 31st of July of 2019. I am Nick here alongside Chris, and it is time to talk about Shonen. I don't think we talk about anything but Shonen really on the show, honestly. Uh, hmm. Every so often we do. Every so often. Every We're going to so have to like, get people to send us some sort of like long running series that we can actually keep up with. It's like we would probably be covering Skip B to this day if it were possible for us to read it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, is it still running? It's still going. Yes. Uh, all right. Like, actually, this is this is a tangent before I go on my actual tangent that I wanted to bring up. Skip Beat was the very first recommendation that we took for Weekly Manga Recap. It was something we covered in, what, the second episode or something like that? Something very early on, yeah. And that was, like, seven or eight years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's egregious. All right. Chris, I told you a bit about this uh, after we went off the air last week, mm-hmm. but uh, last uh, Wednesday, the same day that we recorded the show, um, I was actually on vacation that week. Um, I took a bit of time off of work, and the reason I took off when I did was because I got called in for jury duty on Wednesday. So I was like, well, I got to you know, be off of work in order to go in for that, so I might as well take a little bit of this vacation time I've built up. Anyway... But it, all, all I succeeded in doing was briefly messing up my sleep schedule. I did nothing during that time. <laughs> but anyhow, I went in for jury duty, Chris. Mm. And uh, I successfully avoided getting picked for the jury selection by just telling them what, what, what was tr- what was true, which is I work at night. I am not used to being awake at noon. So if you choose me for this panel, I'm not really going to be able to be at my best for this. Sorry. And that was it. And uh, they're like, OK. And then pick me. I had to stay there for the entire thing, as did uh, all the other 35 people who were there. As if you guys have never been part of the you know American jury system, uh, what they do is they've got a wide selection of people that they can potentially pick from. And the lawyers ask questions to help them determine who they will have sit on the jury and the judge and then make the decision. So... They asked a lot of basic things to eliminate people from contention for that, such as, you know, uh, do you want to be here? Which I did not. Um, But also, is English your first language or not? And there were some people there who English was not their first language. And they're like, okay, we're going to, you know, it was it was a civil case. It was not a civil case. It was a criminal case that had to do with like check forgery. And so it was like, okay, there's going to be a lot of, you know, terminology here that we're going to have to use. So, like, if you are struggling to understand the terms, then maybe you're not going to be able to do your best, that kind of thing. Then, in order to get more into the nitty gritty of it, they had to determine, like, okay, is there anyone here who has potential biases on this stuff? And then they were like, okay, we've got to make sure that the people who sit in this panel are on this jury are going to actually understand how the legal system works in terms of. Uh, whether a defendant should be declared guilty or not, because there's the whole beyond a reasonable doubt thing. And then there is the burden of proof. And so the uh, prosecution uh, said, OK, listen, so here is my job. My job is to convince you beyond beyond a reasonable doubt that he is guilty. There is no burden on his defense to provide anything. I have to provide the evidence. So. Let me explain something to you. This is the example I like to use. If I 
tell you I'm going to give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I give you, uh, you know, two slices of bread that have peanut butter and jelly in the middle. I've given you a peanut butter sandwich and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And you're like, eh. all right. Now, what if I give you two slices of bread with peanut butter on it? Then have I given you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? No. Okay. What if I give you, you know, a puddle of peanut butter and jelly with no bread? Is that a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? No. So if I were to give you those two, those things, instead of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, your version would have to be not guilty. Essentially laying out like, it is guilt. It is definite that this guy is guilty or you have to say he's not guilty. It's incomplete. Incomplete means not guilty. Anyway. It'd be great if like you raised your hand and you were like, a hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> and they were like, get the fuck out. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> we have had so many conversations derailed <laughs> by the hot dog debate of 2019. <laughs> I, there's a coworker who has legitimate heat with me at work because of it. Because you disagree over that? Oh, God. Uh, because I'm like, a hot dog is a sandwich. He's like, no, it's not. Anyway. All right. So... <laughs> So he makes his point with that. And then after he's done asking the potential jurors questions, the defense lawyer gets up and he asks a few questions. And then he's like, now getting back to the peanut butter and jelly sandwich example, <laughs> let's say that I were to give you some bread and some peanuts and some grapes. Now, if he, if the, if the prosecution gives you that, has he given you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Like, well, uh, what do you mean? If he has given you the components to make a sandwich eventually, then you can't jump to the conclusion that he's given you a sandwich. Wouldn't you agree with that? And they're like, no, I guess not. What if he gave you some bread and some crushed up peanuts and some smushed up grapes? Then has he given you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? They just go on this point because they're trying to find people who understand the what the actual burden of proof is. And eventually like the judge speaks up and she's like this metaphor with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, what they're trying to say. Is <laughs> like, even the judge is like, right? I've heard this, this shit fucking stupid. so many times from this asshole. <laughs> like I, just the fact that they were both so into this peanut butter and jelly sandwich example, I guess that they were both just like, listen, this fucking fraudulent check thing is just so boring. Let's, and it's, it's almost lunchtime. Let's talk about food and get them to perk up. <laughs> like it's a moment with the judge is like, well, you know, to move on to the peanut butter and jelly example, if you are receiving uh, bread and peanut butter and jelly, but it's strawberry jelly, uh, that is still the definition of a peanut butter jelly sandwich. So you, you should still uh, vote guilty in that case, in which case he does get the chair, but <laughs> <laughs> like everyone just starts at like, so, like someone in the, the council is just like, so to add on to this example, if we're <laughs> receiving peanut butter and jelly, but it's from the bailiff and not from you guys, that still doesn't mean he's guilty then because we weren't, we didn't <laughs> receive it from you. So at that point, what if, like, the judges from the uh, one of the other courtrooms is like, now to go on to this point, if you have a peanut allergy. <laughs> yeah, like, someone raised their hands, like, ah, what about the crust? Like, the crust is involved in this scenario, but I don't like the crust. We're not actually. What kind of peanut bread peanut. is it? Is it white? Is it white or whole wheat? Uh... <laughs> Sir, I don't know how many times we had to explain. We're not actually giving you sandwiches. <laughs> well, they keep on talking about the peanut butter. <laughs> 
So what? I'm just getting peanut butter and jelly shoved into my hand? That's disgusting. I'm now, I have an important point. Did Onoki get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Because I don't know if that constitutes him getting his peanuts if he got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Something has altered the peanuts. He just wanted the peanuts. He didn't really want them as a butter. <laughs> also, I think that was more about him wanting his wife back. But anyway... <laughs> So that was my adventure last week before the show. So well, I'm hoping for a lot of peanut butter and jelly themed uh, metaphors from me this week, then. Uh, I'll do what I can. Uh, we'll see. All right. I'm excited. Well, Chris, the first layer of bread in the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that is our show uh, is the recap uh, portion. We can make a recap of, uh, is My Hero Academia. And uh, we've got uh, the conclusion, conclusion of a flashback in this chapter, uh, the seeming conclusion, at least, um, featuring a very creepy looking child. So this is ch- chapter number 237, Tamura Shigaraki origin. The last episode was Tenko Shimura origin. Uh, so we've seen young Tenko after he has disintegrated, well, more gore gored up his family let's say except the dog who just got paint spilled on him covered in paint mm-hmm. dogs are just as much a part of your family as you know your dead grandma anyway uh satenko is walking through the streets he's got it i guess it's like blood stains on his hands i don't know and uh his face is also messed up and uh, he's walking through the streets and people are seeing this you know ragged looking child walking alone and they're just kind of ignoring him because it's like, I don't want to deal with that. Except until like an old woman spots him and she's like, oh, no, are you all right? And she he looks up at her. And this is like, you know, I, I better start seeing this image around and like as just like a creepy image kind of thing or like people's avatar or something like that. Because it's just so perfect. The, the look that Tenko gives her with his big hollowed out eyes and this awkward, maniacal grin on his face. And immediately the other one's just like, oh, someone else will help you. Bye. I've got to go. I've got to get going. (laughs) Got to be late. Don't want to die before I get to work. Like, where are you going? Oh, places. You know, Canada. (laughs) So Shigaraki observes in narrating this uh, flashback that, uh, you know, there's bound to be more trouble in these densely populated cities, but one lost wandering child was just a blip compared to real emergencies. But even so, in a society overflowing with heroes, I thought maybe the reason no one helped me was because I was being punished for killing my family. If only, if only back then, someone had reached out to help. Yeah, so Shigaraki's nuts. Uh, I, I wanted to make that clear. Um It's definitely, I'm sure, contributed to a state that people saw this creepy kid and were like, oh... Yeah, I'm sure someone else will help him. It's yeah, a, it's a it's a real thing. It's a real thing. The bystander effect. But still, it's a different scenario, though, than if he was a kid who was uh like normally in this sort of scenario, you want to place the like the onus of villainy on the public. Whereas here, I'm like 100 percent sympathizing with everybody else. I was like. Yeah, it's this kid with very creepy eyes who isn't saying anything at all, and he's covered in blood. Like, 
I'd be like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to hang. Like, he's like, why didn't Superman save me? I'd be like, I don't know, maybe because you looked fucking terrifying at the time, dude. Like, not for nothing, but. And imagine, like, you know, if Chris, let's say we don't know each other. Okay. And you spot me on the side of the Who road. Who are you? Where am I? What's this show? I'm like, you know, but I'm like, you know, beaten up, you know, covered in rags and stuff. First of all. You're probably going to ignore me even if you don't see anything, anything particularly weird about me, because, you know, raggedy looking people on the street are scary. I, I'm sorry. They just are. I don't want to get involved with them because I have, you know, gotten involved with homeless people in the past and uh, then had to have the very awkward moment of like, yeah, you need to leave me alone. You know, uh, anyway. But then, you know, like, let's say that. You have a particularly big heart that day and you're like, I will save this person. I will do whatever it takes. I will put them in a soup, get them to a soup kitchen. I will take them to the hospital or something like that. And you're like, hey, man, are you all right? And I just look at you like. Now, maybe you've got a particularly, you know, understanding uh, attitude about that kind of thing. But I kind of hope that you don't feel more like helping me after you see me look at you like that. I'm like, well, now that I've seen into his soul, I know that he's someone I could trust. Absolutely. This reminds me of Ibitsu, that one horror manga we read a long time ago with the homeless girl uh, who killed people with Triple H's hammer. Um, anyway, and like every time there was like, oh, if you approach her, then it, no matter what you say, then then she'll hunt you down and try to be your little sister and kill you. Uh, it's like, yeah, don't approach creepy looking children on the street. Bad things happen. That's what Magus taught me. That's just fact. I mean, you can't really dispute that. Like, that's just simply how it works. But, Chris, eventually someone did reach out to help Shigaraki. And, of course, it was all for one. And Shigaraki thinks to himself, oh, if only someone had, you know, helped me, then, you know, maybe the itch would have gone away for good. And... He forgets everything, I guess, at this point. Um, maybe he doesn't forget them until later, actually. He mentions forgetting memories up to this point. And uh, so we see All for One and the professor, uh, you know, with Shigaraki, who uh, has thrown up again. Uh, and All for One explains that you have an impulse inside of you to destroy and you can't control it. It is bursting out of you and the itching is your body is basically that impulse letting your body know. So you don't need to endure that impulse. It's not necessarily a bad thing. A little bit later, we see him getting beaten up by some kids because he looks creepy and they're like, fuck this guy. Also, we're probably drunk. Um he has an impulse, of course, to destroy them, but he resists it. Uh, and all for one's like, you shouldn't resist that impulse or the only one to suffer will be you. And we see young Tenko on the ground, like writhing in agony, scratching at his own face and stuff. He's clearly suffering from this supposed impulse that he has. And all for one asks him, what do you want to do? And Tenko admits that he wants to kill the two guys who just hurt him. He's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like this bad feeling is filling me up and I can't stop it. I can't hold it back. And he reaches out for this one of the hands that has been prepared for him by all for one of the professor and he disintegrates it. And all for one says, well, then 
try your best. And Shigaraki ends up going out on the street, covered in the hands, looking basically like a small version of his current look. And he goes and he finds those two thugs and he kills them. Uh, all for one, and the professor are watching him from a rooftop. And uh, the professor's like, you know, I thought he'd lost his memories. And the awful one says, not lost, only shut away, but they remain within him. His family's hands will restrain him, keep him in check. With his memories locked away, it's only his unstable emotions that float to the surface. And that unease, look, he's keeping his own quirk in check. I will cultivate him, encourage him, and he will be the symbol of fear who lusts for destruction. And we've just witnessed his first major step down that path. And she, she Tenko says to himself as he's covered in the hands that he feels awful, yet he also feels calmed and as if he's allowed to do whatever he wants. All for one presents the two thugs he killed their hands to him, as well as an additional hand to replace the one that he you know, disintegrated before when he reached out for it. And now he's, you know, dressed in all the hands and stuff, looking really probably actually creepier than normal because he's so much smaller. So the hands look bigger on him. And all for one addresses him as Tomura Shigaraki. And Shigaraki's like, what does that mean, basically? And all for one says it's from the verb tomurao, meaning to mourn. Tenko Shimura is, is no more. You're reborn now as one who beckons acts of mourning into this world of ours. And then he asks, well, what about Shigaraki? And all for one says, oh, that's a cool I, name. This is a cool name. <laughs> it sounded really cool. Always dope. thought I'd have a friend named Shigaraki. <laughs> all for one says, that's my last name. Mm. So uh, now Shigaraki remembers all this stuff. Uh, and so Shigaraki's like, yeah, you know, back then I wanted to murder my father. So I did. And my heart became unencumbered as I watched the rest of my family crumble. That wasn't a tragedy. Uh we cut over to Gigantomachia, who is rampaging through buildings uh, and people alike. And uh, Twice is like, oh, wow. But yeah, and he's going right for Shigaraki. Sweet. But Mr. Compress shouts over to Dobby, who's still fighting the ice guy, and is like, um, that guy was just toying with us for months. He's he's unstoppable and he's going straight for Shigaraki. He's going to kill him. We've got to go and help him. We've got to finish our own fights and help him. And uh, Spinner shouts out for Shigaraki, but Shigaraki takes one of the hands from his body and he says, these sorts of things, too, are all unnecessary and disintegrates in his hand. So it seems as though Shigaraki's true power has awakened from all of this. So go ahead. I was going to say, so one of the cool things is like seeing how all these hands play into sort of what his identity was and now that he's no longer being literally kind of held back uh you know we we can see that there's a, a physical power uh there's a part of me though that is wondering if there's going to be an artistic change with them going forward because those hands were iconically the shigaraki look yeah. and without them he doesn't like come across particularly visually interesting. So I'm wondering, he's just a guy with white hair. Right? I'm, well, yeah. I'm wondering if we're going to get something else or something new to him after this. I mean, that's kind of thinking far in the future uh, because who knows this fight ends. And then it's like him being like, ah, now that we have Gigantomachia on our side, we will rule. And he turns, he has like a, like a propeller beanie and like <laughs> seven igloos on his shoulder or something like that. I'm like, oh, okay, just... I guess it's a new design. 
he just spends the entire rest of the manga just going, uh, okay, so yeah, I'm just going to hold my hand over my face. And, uh... <laughs> oh, I can't. Turns out I can use the power on myself. Well, goodbye, everybody. Um, there's some interesting um, gaps in this flashback. Some little things that when you look at them, it's like, that doesn't quite make sense. And it seems as though that's deliberate to me. Uh, that Shigaraki, of course, doesn't have the full idea of what has been done to him uh, in all of this. Like, you know, he disintegrates one of the hands and then uh, that supposedly belonged to his family members. And then all for one's like, oh, I have another one. It's like, hmm, what what purpose do those hands actually fulfill? And, you know, Tenko shows up with all near all for one and professor when we immediately see him really uncomfortable throwing up writhing on the ground in pain hmm does he really just have an internal impulse to destroy or are they doing something to give him pain and then just saying oh that's because you want to be a killer kind of thing it's a lot of seeming uh unsaid manipulation going on in this uh that i think uh we're going to learn about later so very potentially but, yeah, uh, it seems as though we're getting back to the present now, and uh, Shigaraki seems way, way more powerful. So uh, we'll see how that turns out. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about Eden Zero then, Nick. Chapter 55, Blackrock, uh, which I can only assume is a reference to Blackrock Foundry, the dungeon or, in World of Warcraft that is... Or Blackrock Shooter or, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, I'm thinking Blackrock Foundry, which is a really, really, really annoying dungeon to run through because mm. uh, I think they upgraded it. But back in the day, when you pugged it, people tried to clear the whole fucking thing. And I'm like, guys, this is technically three different dungeons all attached to one another. We're not doing a 45-minute dungeon run so you guys can try to figure out how to get all these bosses... It's a nonsense. Anyway, guys, uh, last time uh, Rebecca had her underwear stolen and then was given a very important B cube that had all the information about Valkyrie. Uh, it was given. It's a, like insight into the universe, man. <laughs> Just put it on your tongue. Uh, it was given to her by a guy whose name I can't remember it was like Peter Jeff or something stupid like that. Uh, but we cut back over then to Hamor and she, uh, yeah, Chigi, who, uh, as I said. The mask guy is not yet done. He pushes himself out of the hole and he's like, ah, Valkyrie is that tan android, right? She's famous around here. So Mora's like, so you know who she is? Where is she? Where can I find her? He's like, oh, I know. And then he lands and he's like, but I'm not going to tell you. So Shiki's like, haven't you learned your yes and yet? And he's like, so you know those collars you're wearing aren't just for counting metal. As long as you got them, they mark you as prisoners for life. And we could just do whatever we want with you. So I could take away your food, put you in solitary, or I could punish you by sending you to the den of the most violent stones. Boom. And he teleports. It's time to get stoned. Yeah, it's time to get stoned. He teleports them away to Black Rock's lair. And Black Rock is the lord of these mines. No one has ever taken that stone down, Nick. No one has ever been able to defeat all 100 monsters at once. Uh, and immediately, the guy with the mask... It's not resolved in just this one chapter, though, so it's not fine. Yet, not yet, but... <laughs> uh, so the guy with the mask sits down, and we find out his name is Garot, uh, because immediately a uh, a monkey mask guy... I know he looks... I, I'm trying to think what he looks like, 
And the only thing I can say is like, hey, kind of looks like Gazelle, the mythical king of beasts, the Yu-Gi-Oh card. He almost looks like Jimbei, but like lion themed instead of fish themed. I, I feel like there's a mythical creature that he's meant to represent and I cannot for some reason place it. But anyway, he shows up and he's like, oh, you really shouldn't treat prisoners like that. And this new guy is Fuzaitin Baku, the Axe of Heaven. He's like, how long have you been here? He's like, oh, I'm very fast. With a name like that, here. with a name like that, that is like proper Yu-Gi-Oh name too. So. <laughs> true. Uh, so he's like, what do you want? He's like, oh, well, Madame Coronai's calling a meeting. He's like, well, you could have just fucking called me over the comms. He's like, oh, but I wanted to see you. He's like, well, I'm in a bad mood. And so, uh, what is it? Zaku? Baku. Baku. Baku's like, what a coincidence. She's in a bad mood, too. I'm like, very intimidating. Uh, so Shiki and Hamor get teleported over to the cave, and they're like, oh my god, it's a cave. And then we see a big, cool, like, crystal, faceless kind of beast thing. And It like, basically, like, almost looks like a dragon, but then... It has no head. Its neck just kind of unfurls outward into like a flower shape. Yeah. It looks fucking awesome. <laughs> it's pretty dope. And they're like, oh, my God, that's uh, it's it's not a bug. And Shiki's like, well, it doesn't look like a bug. So I guess you're right. And they're like, oh, that's the, the king of the stones. That's that's the big one. So if we beat it, then maybe our counters go down to zero in one fight. And I'm like, of course you found that one. It's very convenient. You do. Uh, so they're going to fight it, but it's actually a little too strong for them. All their attacks are kind of just bouncing off of it, and then it like shoots out a giant explosion. They have to run away. So they're hiding, but then it sends out like a swarm of bugs. And it's actually kind of a funny joke where Shiki sees them, and they sees a bunch of bugs, and Hamora's like, uh, no, it must have summoned insects. I mean, they're not insects. They're birds. Birds, Shiki! And he's like, no, those are bugs. Oh, and he just passes out. <laughs> So uh, Hamora's like, uh-oh, I can't fight all these alone. But then who should save the day but Rebecca? Rebecca's teamed <laughs> up with the group again, Nick. Uh, oh, after so long of being separated. <laughs> after what has to be three weeks, <laughs> the gang's finally back together. Remember when there was like a like a three-year break between like when the straw hats were separated to when they finally actually got all back together again. Yeah, Hero's like, come on, why bother fucking around wasting time for that? <laughs> it was like, holy shit, it's been like two and a half years since Sanji and Zoro have seen each other again. It's like almost on the same level. It's been at least three weeks since Rebecca has seen Shiki and Homura. Admittedly, holy shit, Rebecca got to be useful for once. I don't believe it. I don't believe like, it. I, unless something she, is wrong. <laughs> unless she actually plays a part in killing the monster, I will refuse to believe that Rebecca has any use yet. <laughs> if she's I'm just not... here to be like, I killed the mobs. Like, you know, well, anyone could do that. I'm glad that we actually did get a moment of this monster seeming actually intimidating, like Shiki and Homura just have to run and hide from it because their attacks just are completely ineffective against it. Uh, but we'll see if it lasts beyond next week. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, it's really this entire thing with like Kimura and Shiki getting signed off. It's been done in such an awkward manner. And now they've just reunited. So it just kind of seems like it was all a waste of time. 
to just kind of like get Rebecca on her own to uh, have the whole humiliating dress up like a sexy magical girl thing. And that was it. But whatever. Uh, honestly, this arc has been, I think, slightly above average for Eden Zero so far, just in terms of like there are a couple of interesting villain characters involved. There is, you know, a cool monster thing. That's something above like what every arc I think thus far has had. So I'm actually kind of enjoying this so far. I do think there are good things currently going on right now. And then some things that are a little bit rough. Um, it's just the pacing's off completely. But Absolutely. like the characters and the villains being introduced are genuinely, generally rather, uh, interesting. Like I kind of like that Garot is not just uh, another creepy pervert dude who got punched once and then he's done for good. That you know we're seemingly going to get more from him. Uh, who knows if we'll actually really get more from him or if he'll just show up in panels in the future and then I don't know fucking Pino will trip him down a flight of stairs when the big <laughs> fight comes on. It's like ah there we go he's handled now or whatever. He falls into like a cream pie factory and like just kind of falls face first into every single one. He like sneezes and falls backwards down the garbage chute and I'm like ah help me. Falls uh, from the cream pie factory into the. Uh, uh, fallen over rake factory. I'm like, why were these two connected? <laughs> why aren't any of these rakes in boxes? <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, brief note about Beast Children. Um, this chapter is dedicated to our main character getting to learn who some of his teammates are, and I could not tell them apart by the end of it. So there's like a big moment where like he's trying to because they, they try to explain some of the rules of rugby and they're explained that like kicking is a big thing, you know, same way of football where it's like if you have a kicker, you can score points when otherwise you would not be able to. So it's really important to have a good kicker. So there's one kicker on the team that uh, Sakuraba, is that his name? No. Yes. No, that's no, that's that's, that's uh, it's just Sakura, right? Or no. Sakurai, I think. Sakurai, that's it. Uh, he tries to in, like get one member on his team who's a good kicker. Who and he's I'm like, sure no. We, I'm sure we've seen this guy before, but we know no personality for him. So he's just like, sorry, I can't help. I'm like, um, yeah, I've got an ingrown toenail or something. I'm like, why is this a th whatever? So they don't get him, but there's another one on the team who's really good. Now, when that happened, Chris, I, I have to say this. So the guy that he wants to get as a kicker says, I can't, I'm injured. And then Sakurai sees another guy and he's kicking a ball around. I was like, oh, he's so good at kicking. I'm like, isn't that the same guy who just said that he didn't want to be, <laughs> that he was oh, injured, he could play? The, the guy I was who, like, oh, no, it's a different guy who has the same hair. <laughs> the guy who's injured has a stripe in his hair, like a, a one one little streak of a different color in his hair, Nick. I don't know how you could possibly get this two mixed up, considering there's like almost zero transition between the two scenes. It's just Sakurai walking through a hall, looks out the window and sees someone else who's already on the team. He's not recruiting new players. When they were like, we need a kicker on the team. I 100% I was like, boom, that's where you get Sora. Because Sora would already be skilled at kicking because he plays right. soccer. So I was like, that's 100% where you, you make that connection. And it's like, no, there's just, there's another player on the team already who's also very good. So they do a big three-on-three -three match at the very end. And I'm like, I don't know a single person who's in this match besides the guy that he wants to recruit and Sakurai himself. There's like four other characters and they're having interactions. And I'm like, I don't know 
I don't know any of you. There's a scene at the start where he's trying to recruit a player. And I was like, oh, is this a new person? And I'm like, no, I think this is also another player who's currently on the team, but we know nothing about yet. And it's fine because we still know nothing about him. (laughs) Just that he's older. That's it. There is one part of the chapter that I like, which is just the the repeated emphasis on he he just likes tackling people. Uh, you know, if they're trying to explain to him how important kicking is. He's like, why would you want to kick? I mean, when you could tackle somebody, you know, it's and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, kicking a ball gives you many opportunities to tackle people kind of thing. <laughs> explain. <laughs> explain how <laughs> money can be exchanged for goods and services. Anyway, um, it's. That's all right, but it definitely this chapter kind of cemented the point that you had been making for a few weeks of like, I don't know who any of these people are. And like when when we finally have a chapter of like, oh, we're going to get to know these people. Who are these people? (laughs) It's we keep on making comparisons because of, you know, just the aesthetic similarities to I show 21. But there is something about I show 21 where uh, the team of Inagaki and Murata were very much aware of something that was essential to its success. Uh, Inagaki said that Murata has the ability to uh, draw very different character, uh, very different appearing characters. So even if they're in a group shot, you can take one look and you can see all the different people are there and know who each of them is. Um, and it's the exact opposite in this series where, like I said, I see one character who's kicking a ball. Sakurai tries to recruit him. He's like, I'm injured. And then he sees someone else kicking a ball. I'm like, it's not just the same fucking guy. Did he lie to him? Oh no, that's someone different. So it's, it's a problem. Um, but more than that, it is just a matter of like the, the series is like out of order in terms of establishing stuff. Maybe if it had more time to do stuff, then it would all come together. But it feels like it's not going to. It's just it's insane to me that we're 10 chapters in and I cannot describe to you a single character on the team that's not the main character or the leader guy. I was like, you didn't it didn't take 10 chapters for us to get into uh, Haikyuu before we're like, oh, Tanaka, he's an older student, but he's loud. He's abrasive and he's a bit of an idiot like Right. Like you don't even have to get into like the larger cast beyond it. You're just like, oh, here's one character besides like the main two fucking duo this thing's based on. Yeah, and we and, identify and, with. And he's established because he's going to, you know, be the, like their third member for this, you know, little scrimmage thing that they're going to have. So we need to take some time to establish them. And there's all the stuff where, you know, he like unlocks it to get Yeah. Like it's <sighs> For team sports manga, you need to have very distinct members of the team established quickly at the beginning. So anyhow, let's move on to Samurai 8, The Tale of Hachimaru, Chapter 12. So last time we had uh, Ao um, causing trouble. Um Hachimaru's father was able to use a device in his chest that seems to start disrupting his soul or something like that. And But with one quarter of his body remaining, uh, he's just gotten up uh, and he's continuing to attack them. And things are really bad for the good guys because the device doesn't work. Uh, Dharma is damaged and is just has to just sit there. Uh, there's a point uh, about a third of the way through the chapter where he basically has to make the determination that he needs to go into sleep mode so that his system can reboot so that he can actually fight. Meanwhile, Hachimaru and An and Hayataro uh, and his dad are in trouble. 
Hachimaru nearly gets cut in half by this guy's sword, and his father gets in the way of the of the attack, tackles him over, and takes the hit. And we get this big color two-page spread of, of Hachimaru's father shielding him from the sword strike. And Hachimaru is immediately, like, covered in droplets of his own father's blood. Uh, so floating samurai guy is upset about oh, that he's not dead yet. Uh, but he gets distracted by the other samurai whose name I keep forgetting because it also begins with H, uh, hitting him with a machine gun from where he's still pinned to the wall. Uh, and he has to deal with him for a little bit. And then we get a flashback from Hachimaru's perspective as he, uh, cradles his father in his arms, uh, to a point where when he was very young, uh, his dad had gone away to get some, uh, some medicine for him and he woke up crying because he you know, was missing him. Uh, he comes back, you know, with the medicine and he says, Oh, I thought I was, you know, I missed you. And his dad says, Hey, it's okay. You know, I, I'm never going to you know, leave you. I'm your dad. And of course we're always going to be together. And he says, look, I know that, you know, your allergies, it's, it's hard to, you know, that's hard and that's your main priority is us just being able to handle that. But getting you to not be such a crybaby is crybaby is right up there too. Jeez, this guy's, you know, hooked up to some tubes, dude. (laughs) Go easy on him. But he says, you know, like, you know, you really worry me and and I can hardly leave the house, you know, if you're like that. Uh, And he's, and Hachimaru said, well, would that be better if I take the medicine? And so I was like, well, no, Uh, if you want to stop being a crybaby, you've got to act tough. Uh, tell yourself I'm not going to cry because I'm a tough guy and I'm always smiling and laughing. And Hachimaru said, so if I do that, you won't be so worried and you'll feel better. And he's like, yeah, your dad loves you when you're tough. And Hachimaru's like, okay, then I'll give it a try. And so that kind of seems to be the emergence of the Hachimaru that we've got to know to this point. This guy who is very Naruto-esque in terms of putting on this kind of face of bravado and stuff like that. Hachimaru tells on to try and look after his father and he apologizes to her for lying to her and uh, he steps forward to defend them and we get uh, you know a reminder of Dharma's words to him in one of his lessons in terms of how the princesses interact with the samurai and he's like you know listen the important thing is who you act tough for and why you act tough and Hachimaru realizes that after he became a samurai he only was acting that way for himself he only did it to show off he forgot about that smile. And so he apologizes to his father, steps forward, forms his sword, which is still wavery. It's not it's still imperfect. And he says, I will protect the people here with me. Uh, he gets mocked, but he re- charges into battle. Uh, it doesn't really do any good because he is still completely outclassed. Uh, he gets knocked on his ass. He tries to, co- to charge back in. Uh, and uses her powers. Hayataro also rushes in and like, like start to form some armor around him. But Hachimaru like gets this big wound in his over his eye. His glasses get cut in half. His arm is chopped off. Uh, and his father is watching him the whole time fighting bravely. And he remembers, you know, like, you know, Hachimaru getting really into video games and being frame perfect uh, at 120 FPS. Uh, he remembers oh, him complaining over, you know, having to take medication and stuff. Uh, and 
Atomaro does start seem to start doing better. He's actually dodging some of the sword strikes coming towards him, despite the fact that they're you know, right in front of him. Uh, but eventually he gets completely run through by the sword. He's it's actually a great visual because there's just this like spectral figure in front of him plunging a sword through him. And the sword stops just short of on and Hachimaru's father as he's standing in between them, trying to defend them. The other samurai says, do you know why samurai must be tough? It is because unlike flesh and blood, Bushi, a samurai does not die of blood loss. A samurai's death only happens when he admits defeat. His body forsaken by the warrior god will disintegrate and die. No matter how much of a tough experience you put on, if you do not hold powerful courage in the core of your heart, you will die. You have no courage. And sure enough, the wound over Hachimaru's face is starting to crumble and his body is kind of fading away a little bit from that wound. But Hachimaru's father says, you're wrong. Hachimaru, you're a strong boy. And Hachimaru looks back at him and he remembers some more and he remembers, you know, his father encouraging him to act tough and acting tough in order to make his father feel better. And he gives his dad a smile and he says, I'll give it a try. Let's go. And he uh, hits the guy in the neck with his sword. And that's the end of the chapter. It only took 12 weeks for Samurai 8 to start figuring itself out. Uh, but holy shit. <laughs> like, this is really good. It's a good chapter. Um, it's almost kind of unfortunate that it's good because in being good, it kind of exposes more of the problems it's had to this point, where I'm like, you had a good story here of a kid who was very sick and was bedridden his entire time, and his dad cared for him, who has now gotten superpowers, and his dad's very worried, and there's more of a history there, uh, and for essentially like 10 chapters, you just kind of farted around doing other stuff. Like, this could have happened in the first chapter, and I'm glad it did. I think because so. Because it, it gives yeah. us more time to actually get a relationship of Hachimaru's life and then his relationship with his dad, who we've kind of explored over a while. But there's also, like, just huge chunks in the middle where you're like, I don't know, we were kind of just, like, exploring shit. He fought a couple, like, nameless bandits, all these older sort of things. You're like, I understand if you're setting up kind of a prologue where you're like, we're going to turn this kid from somebody who's a very egotistical very uh, boisterous, kind of annoying kid who then loses his parent and kind of, like, is brought down to Earth as, like, this kind of quasi-prologue. Like, I do like that idea. And this could still function that way. I just think that there was a lot in the middle that could have been condensed to get us to that point. And we could have gone from there. Um, but, like, I like Akka as, like, this antagonizing figure who... Even after having been, like, blown apart, he's still, like, an intimidating enough figure that yeah. it's like, oh, he could still kill you even though he's basically just a torso, an arm, and a head right now. So, I, there's stuff they're doing that's really good, and I really like this chapter a lot. Uh, some of the stuff's framed kind of weird. I know some people are kind of picking up on it, but, you know, some of his, like, speech, like, Daddy only loves you when you're tough, could be, like... I get what he's doing. It could have been reframed a little bit differently, but it still mm -hmm. leaps and bounds better than what uh, Samurai has been. Now that said, there are still some 
huge problems in this chapter, mainly being that this is still way too fucking busy of a series artistically. There's like three or four shots where I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. I have no idea. It's like page 18. You see like Hachimaru and it took me like five minutes before I was like, I don't know exactly what happened. I guess he summoned samurai armor on his one arm to protect himself from being attacked or maybe it's the dog doing it i'm not entirely certain i don't know why they need to be robot samurais who also have dogs that give them magic power they also have princesses Listen, that give the magic power chris he's a there's a samurai there's the key holder and there's the princess <laughs> like, i don't think we need like eight different fucking little things here but that said i will take a good chapter where we get one like this, is, this has made me more optimistic on this series. I feel like this is the chapter that we've been waiting for uh, since. I mean, like we've seen little flashes of promise, but this is definitely like, OK, this is, you know, the heart of the series, what this is really about. And, you know, I think that you mentioned actually a few weeks ago wanting to see if like there could be that connection of it's not necessarily between Hachimaru and An, but Hachimaru and his father. So when he cares about it, wants to defend and hey, we got that. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, there's a lot of, you know, good stuff. I like um, the fact that, you know, how bad of a spot Hachimaru was put in. You see how beat up he's getting. And, he, you know, that visual of him fighting to the last, uh, trying to protect the people important to him, even though he stands absolutely no chance against the superior foe. I mean, that's the, you know, the biggest part of being a samurai. It's like, oh, yeah, there's this moment now where it's like, you have misunderstood what being a samurai means this whole time. But now in this moment, he gets it. He's demonstrating that quality. And that's, you know, very straightforward, you know, character growth moment. But it's good. I think that maybe what, what Samurai 8's problem might be is that maybe people are afraid to go to Kishimoto as he's writing this series and be like, hey, can you like, you know, not just put all your lore and ex- explanations of how stuff works in the first five chapters. Can you maybe like do interesting stuff and space that out later? Maybe they're just afraid to do that uh, because of the clout that he has. And maybe that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as, as this dem- chapter demonstrates, yeah, he's good when he actually gets to the fucking point. So <laughs> yeah. Hopefully more of this in the future. Now, let's move on to the last Sayuki. Chapter 21, Lost in Translation. Good movie, by the way. I've never seen it. I've heard good things about it, though. Very solid. Last time we learned that Rinosuke's uh, mom was the one who gave birth to Koharu. And uh, Kay continues her explanation of stuff that happened in the past. Um, I'm going to summarize some of this uh, to basically say that we get an abridged version of the relationship between Rinosuke's parents, how they met, how Rinosuke's father, uh, Gohaku, used to be um, more like Fukuda. Um, He was, you know, a a true human. He was emotionless. He was super powerful, uh, but he didn't care about anything. And when he was first introduced to Momo, he didn't really care. All that he cared about for her was the fact that they were going to have a child together and it was going to be a really powerful child. But Momo was just like so goddamn adorable and so looking like girl Ranma from Ranma one half that uh, eventually um, he she just kind of like broke through his armor 
And uh, when Ryunosuke was born, he was like, oh, fuck. Oh, no, I'm afraid for someone other than myself. And uh, so he started to have, you know, actual emotions and feelings for other people. And uh, so it, he stopped being so much of a true human. And so now he has the eye patch because he doesn't have his super regenerative powers. It's kind of a weird thing going on in this series that we've kind of like tried to talk about the point of like, is it actually true that like true humans need to be emotionless to be super powered? Or is that just a false thing? Or is that it's it's it happens again in this chapter is like, well, we have Arenesca's dad did get actually weaker when he started caring about other people. So what's going on with that? <laughs> anyway, they got to the point after, uh, you know, Brianoske was a little kid and they had to get to the point where Momo has to go and give birth to the true human. And uh, we get this explanation that the way that it occurs is that she is sent to this hellish dream world. You can breathe power decay just by staying there. And even if you die, your memories survive and you can be continuously reborn. But should you make any sound, the world ends. In the tale, it is said that Toshi Shun makes a noise in the third reincarnation. But what actually happened was that in order to create K, she didn't make a sound until the 12th life. Even if a scary monster ate her alive or she drowned to death or she was burned alive or if her loved one was killed right in front of her eyes. I don't know how they're like able to see all of this happening, but we actually see that in one of the repeated realities of this dream world, she saw uh, Ryunosuke being beaten to death with a baseball bat by his dad. <laughs> oh, good times. But she still didn't make a sound. In that world, the more Momo suffered, the more power K would accumulate. But meanwhile, in the real world, Gohaku's like, I noticed something was wrong immediately. It was said that Toshishun woke up in an instant after living 12 lives. Master Dosu, this is taking longer than you told me. What is happening? It's already been a full minute. And Master Dosu is like, Momo told me not to tell you, but the 12 times is just an approximation. As long as she doesn't make a sound in the dream, she won't ever wake up. There's no way to free her either. And Gohaku tried to stop it, and he was like, no, the real reason I chose you to be her husband was because that was her condition for accepting this role. You may have forgotten, but you met her a long time ago. You saved her for a monster and used a white baku on her. But strangely enough, Momo didn't forget. There's a lot of stuff happening in this chapter. Can you tell that we're like two chapters away from the finale? We had to get a lot out. <laughs> there was so much planned. This was originally going to take place over like five chapters or something. <laughs> So we get this bit of Kohaku begging his wife to make a sound, and she still didn't. Eventually, Momo was taken to a hospital, put on life support. She still didn't wake up for 10 days. If you calculate the time spent in the dream world, she kept tolerating hardships for what could be said was an eternity. Then Momo said her last words to you, and her soul disintegrated into ash, and Kohara was born after taking in the pain and life force of your mother. With no feet to tie her to the earth, no hands to feel warmth. No vision to see illusions that obstruct the truth. She had all the components of a perfect, true human form. The most powerful K ever. However, something unexpected happened. And we see that the very first thing that happened when Kaharu awoke from her egg or whatever was that she started crying and said, I'm scared. So, Chris, if you have no emotions, then you get more powerful but then when you get super more powerful, then you get super emotions. It's a little confusing. This is a logic that I can subscribe to. 
It's kind of like that episode of Fairly Odd Parents where Timmy wished away all of his fear and he would skateboard down volcanoes and other dangerous things because he had no fear. Uh, but the inverse, because the lesson here is that you have to have fear, I think. I, I don't know. I'm not. Look, I'm bad at analyzing things. I don't know how we've been able to do a podcast for like nine years and nobody's just been like, this guy's an idiot because uh, I'm bad at analyzing things. <laughs> I've had so much trouble diagnosing what like the thesis of this series is trying to get at because it, it starts to reach a point where they're like, technologies also keeping us from reaching true humans. And I'm like, I mean, do you just mean like phones and the internet or do you mean like, penicillin and shit too like i don't know what you mean by you know technology. wheels <laughs> ramps <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm going to use my noibo to defeat this monster no 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 weapons are technology <laughs> you must defeat them with nothing but your hands and whatever comes from your body so okay well let me think about how this out of Strategy is also a human development. <laughs> You're getting if further away from true. More developed than shit in your hands and throw it, then <laughs> you're going to be a true human. I'm like, well, now I don't even understand where I'm supposed to be doing. Where <laughs> what did true humans do back in the like? The old... <laughs> Morality is a human invention. <laughs> Contemplation is something that leads you down the wrong path. I don't know. I feel like like monkeys, you know, even think about stuff occasionally. They have to make decisions. Like, yeah, there's a monkey who's pretty good at Fortnite, probably or something like that. <laughs> so, I mean, is it is that thing not human anymore now? Yeah, he doesn't have very, he doesn't have very many subscribers. It <laughs> How great would Fortnite be if like during the World Championships they're going or whatever? It's just like a chimpanzee holding up the trophies instead of all these you know freaking twenty year olds who live with their parents. Uh, Nick, the first one who the one who just won thirty thousand or something like that was sixteen years old. So you of course start he going even younger. He's getting all F's. So, <laughs> but he's succeeding. In the school of hard knocks. Sure, if you call playing a video game hard knocks, okay. Sure. I mean, hey, he has to get called the N-word a lot like, <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis. He's got to his up credit. <laughs> He's going to go some real thick skin real quick. All right. Anyway, so last Sayuki, uh, there's a lot of stuff in this chapter. I mean, it's really just like, okay, there's an info dump here. We're getting to the end, and I'm just absorbing the information. There's not a whole lot here that's super compelling. There's some interesting stuff in terms of the dream world, but it really is like it's paced so quickly you can't even really appreciate it. So. All right, let's talk about we never learned the next question. 121. Sometimes the level beast causes a tumultuous pizza bat. Hmm. So. It starts, this starts off at Nanao Library, Chris. Do you think that uh, there's going to be a uh, a whole plot about it having a Zanpakuto that's not actually a Zanpakuto? It's, it's, it's a thing that's used for killing gods, and there's this thing that's a god. And <laughs> I literally blocked all of that out until you started talking about it, and I was like, oof. There's big, a sniper, but oofs. then... There's a snipe, but then he takes on a form that looks like an owl with a really long neck, but it's a god owl. And <laughs> he's still the best sniper in the kingdom or whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's fine. We got to find out what Kira was up to. So we start with uh, 
Uega, and he's hanging out at the library when he gets a call from Ferra- uh, Fumino. And he's like, uh, oh, hey, uh, what's going on? You can't come today? She's like, yeah, well, sorry, I had to cancel at the last minute, but I can't leave the house right now. No, not there. No, please stop. And then it hangs up, like she hangs up the phone. So it's Yega just being like, um, I think I Did have you to die? talk to an adult. <laughs> uh, there we go. Sorry, my page wasn't going forward. So he goes over to Firmino's house to find out what's going on. He's like, ah, I mean, how can I not? I I probably shouldn't worry. I hope she's not fun, like fighting with her father again. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's possible, but you never really know. So the door opens. And he just sees uh, Firmino's dad answer the door, and he he is just like raining tears down his face. <laughs> and Yuriko's like, "Oh my god, what happened? Is something happening? Something going wrong?" And Firmino crashes through the door, and she's like, "Oh come on, at least get let me get dressed in peace." And she's not fully dressed yet. And it's very scandalous. Uh, I actually surprised by the restraint used here because she could have been in a much worse state of undress. Oh, absolutely. You know, I know plenty of girls who, when their dad's in the house, they just, you know, go around like wearing full dominatrix gear, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's, I know how to, te- I know how teenage girls live, Chris. Okay. Yeah, that is true. Uh, and so there's the moment of embarrassment because for me, knows like, ah, what are you doing here? Uh, and then a cat jumps into Uega's hands and it's like, meow, meow. And it's a very cute cat. Uh, it's disturbing because it has no pupils. It just has glitter for eyes, basically. Uh, she's like, oh, so you're you're cat sitting for a couple days. And uh, we find out Firmino's dad refuses to admit that he's allergic to cats because he loves them so much, apparently, that he wants to spend all of his time with this cat. But his allergies keep preventing him from doing it. So there's a whole thing there. Uh, it's very cute, but he's he's going to head away. So he's like, oh, you know, I was really worried something happened. She's like, nah. Uh, and then the cat lays down in Uwega's lap, which is weird. I've, I've never I've never seen a cat that does this. I've never seen a cat that's like, ah, you're a stranger. I'm just going to pop down your lap and like belly up for rubs. Some cats are like that, but it's very rare for it's like, oh, a stranger. Let me just ah, let me put myself in my most exposed position. Uh, so he's like, oh, hey, what's the what's the kitty's name? And Fumina's like, it's Fumi. And he's like, oh, Fumi, what a cute name. And uh, Fumina's a little upset because it's very close to her name. And she's like, it's just kind of embarrassing because everyone's like, oh, Fumi, such a cute kitty. You're adorable. Uh, so she imagines herself as a sexy cat girl. Uh, being Basically Lum pet. from Urusei Atsura. Yeah. And she's like, why am I thinking about this? God damn because it. You're a, because you're in denial over your own hormones. It's okay. <laughs> like, it's fine. So she's like, oh, okay. Well, I, I should make sure to uh, send the photo I just took to uh, Uega. And... So she just took a photo of him, like, paying the cat. And he has, like, a very kind of, like, loving face as he's looking down at this cat. And Fumito's, like, staring at this photo. And she goes to tap the add to favorites button, which is kind of a cute moment. That's that's cute. It's honestly she... one of the more, one of the less ridiculous moments in the chapter. Where she's going, aw. Yeah. <laughs> and then Uega's like, we should get back to work. So she's like, oops. So she, uh, like, drops her phone. Which 
sets off the cat. There's literally a sound effect that just says snap. So this cat just goes fucking off, uh, leaps into the air, grabs their notebook, and immediately starts running around the room, which leads to, like, a joke where, like, Uega goes underneath the table to grab the cat, and he can see from the other side of the, what, Kotetsu? No. Kotatsu. Kotatsu, that's it. Uh, You can see from the other end, so you can see underneath it. Uh, It's supposed to be like, oh, he just saw something he shouldn't. I think we need to reach a point, though, where we could say uh, just the fact that the lower half of a woman exists does not immediately make it sexual. <laughs> Wait a minute. Chris, I just realized all of these girls that Yuga spends time with, they're bipedal. They have two legs. They, they have legs with feet and toes that, that they have to flex and move in coordination in order to take them from place to place. Like, I was like, it's those like, hussies. I was like, she's not like, it's like he's looking up her skirt or something like that, where like that suggests it's like she's wearing she's shorts. She's wearing shorts. I was like, this feels weird for a moment for him to be like, oh, oh, geez, I didn't, I didn't see anything, ma'am. I was like, you shouldn't. <laughs> uh, so she's like, oh, well, I'll distract the cat with this ball of yarn. Uh, little did she realize this is industrial strength, uh, steel lined yarn. Because the cat ends up tying them together playing with the yarn. And Yuiga's trying to, like, get free. And Fubito's like, can you stop doing that? Because your head's directly on my chest and this is weird. Please so, stop motorboating me. <laughs> uh, eventually, they free themselves and they realize the cat just really wanted food. Which I'm not going to deny. Okay, a, listen. a cat who wants food. We'll do all sorts of heinous shit to you. <laughs> but that said, a cat will also do all sorts of heinous shit if it's not hungry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, really, it could be any sort of thing. Uh, so they're like, oh, cool. Now that, you know, the cat's kind of calmed down, we can get back to work. So they, they seem to be doing so. Like We see the hours go by and they're just kind of studying. They're having good times together. And then eventually you wake up, kind of falls asleep. So she puts, like, a blanket over Uwega, and she has a thought. She's like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like we're an elderly couple or something. It's kind of comforting. Ah, no, I shouldn't be thinking about that. And she's, like, shaking her head. And uh, her dad apparently had played with the cat earlier with one of those cat toys that's just, like, kind of looks like a reed with, like, a big thing. So the cat looks at her ponytail and is like, that's a cat toy, which, again, is a very cat-like thing to do. Uh, I'm going to play with this thing that... Well, inconvenience everyone around me, but fuck it, I'm a cat. Yeah, I'm a cat. You 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 guys are here to serve me and my entertainment. Uh so it knocks into her and she falls directly into Uega's lap. And he starts to wake up and he's like, Oh, there you are, Fumi, such a cutie Fumi. I love you, Fumi. So she has a very shy moment, uh, where she's like, Oh, I should move, but maybe I'll just hang here a little bit longer. And then we end with the joke of her being upset about how she feels like she's betrayed Aruka and Ogata. But what we really end with is a joke that her dad came back with a bag of cat toys. It is still just trying to play with this cat. Really, it should just been an entire chapter of watching this poor guy try to play with this cat and just get sicker and sicker as a result of it. There has been, I'm not sure if you've seen this. Um, there's this, uh, manga called like a 
Fukumaru to Oji-san, which is about this old man who adopts a fat, ugly cat and how adorable their relationship is because it's just this, you know, old widower and his cat loving each other. Um, it's fucking adorable. So I highly recommend it. It's uh, I think it's like the Fukumaru and the Gentleman or something like that. Gentleman, gentleman is cat. Anyway, you can find a bunch of it on Tumblr. So it uh, it destroys me internally. So I have not heard of that one. I'll check that one out. So anyway, uh, uh, this was prime material for uh, yeah. Uh, we never learn is the best written series in Shonen Jump kind of thing. It's it's just it's just so dumb. Like it's not bad. It's just it's just really stupid, and has weird fan service in it. It's one it. of those chapters where like three months ago I'd have been like I don't know how like maybe we never learn it's going to end in like a month or two because like we're already coming up on the end of the school year and the series can't go on much longer than that that we really don't have much time and i forgot that this manga has ability to just throw in bullshit like this and you're like there's another chapter and i'm like all right you got me i guess we could be here for another year and a half who knows let's talk about dr stone let's talk about dr stone something stoned character poll popularity results senku is the most popular I could have seen that coming. I don't know what the hell happened to the rest of the uh, popularity poll nope, results, uh, though. People. Always sees the top three. Next, so. they only voted for three people. There were no votes for anyone else. That's a single n- vote. That is not true. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Kaku has managed to crack open the concrete treasure chest now after she left it uh, alone for a bit with their silent bomb thing. And so she starts digging through the fragments of concrete, and she's like, Oh, that's going to be a little difficult to, for me to find. I wonder what the hell. And then she hears some, uh, something crack inside and she's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Did, I, are, are, did the contents get destroyed? Uh, it's probably fine. Right. It's fine. And then she looks inside and there's this glass bottle that has been busted open and there's just a bunch of sand inside it. And so she starts freaking out. And there's literally like her tongue sticks out of her mouth as she freaks out and her tongue reads. Oh, my God. It's. It's rather disturbing, honestly. <laughs> so she looks at it and like, oh, my God, what happened? Uh, guards are coming because they've heard the commotion uh, from, of course, the glass shattering. They're, they're like, oh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's here. Uh, but she looks at the sand and is like, well, wait a minute. Maybe the sand itself is valuable. That's how it always is with Senku. He's always taking these little fragments and she makes them together into something useful. And so she's like, ah, oh, yeah, I guess I really am a citizen of the kingdom of science after all now. And so she makes her escape before the guards can arrive with uh, the sand gathered up in her dress. Uh, and uh, we cut to the next day, but not before uh, we see the guards looking over stuff. And the guards are all really stupid about it because they're like, oh, it must have broken on its own. But... Weird tall mustache guy looks in these fragments of the cement and there's a little shard of the glass bottle left behind. He starts examining it suspiciously. Uh, we, uh, the stuff gets sent over to Senku's team in one of their little rover things. Uh, they call them mouse-mobiles, which if you're going to call it a, if you're going to call it that, just call it a mouse-mobile. It's easier. Or it could be a uh, croak's wagon. Chris. Yeah, I know. Chris. Chris. I remember the croak's wagon. Fucking croak. I hated it. 
So yeah, sparkly sand has been sent over them, and so Senka realizes it's gold dust. <sighs> I'm glad we both did that instinctively. Now both of us look stupid instead of only one of us and the other like being like, oh, I can't believe me. I'm your friend. Yeah, anyway, uh, so both Senku. So Senku realizes that Biaka must have gathered it up with everyone, uh, just gathering it from from like the riverbeds and stuff. And because he remembers that Rory mentioned that uh, there was, uh, you know, gold and platinum in there. So it's like, all right. Yeah. So the, the, there there's some stuff in here that we can need. We've got to find some platinum. He manages to find a little tiny pellet of platinum. And they're like. And so Suika's like, oh, OK, if if, uh, if you if they came from the riverbeds, then I'm going to go find more. And Sink is like, no, nah, you don't understand. Platinum is obscenely rare. A single ton of the Earth's crust will only yield about point zero zero one grams of it. That is how rare it is. Uh, but even this tiny amount could uh, is, you know, is very helpful to us. I mean, this could have taken a decade to come across one. And he realizes as he's gathering more and more tiny little bits of platinum up how much there is. And Gen's like, this must have taken decades to get. And we get a flashback that shows, yeah, um, in addition to all the other shit that Byaki was doing to ensure humanity would be able to pass stuff on to Senka so they could get them back running up again. Um, he was gathering this stuff up. For his entire life, just scrounging the riverbeds, panning for gold and platinum and other precious metals. And he explains to some people that, you know, there's this theory that, like, if humanity were wiped out, then rebuilding from scratch would be impossible because all the rare resources that are found in the service have already been, you know, dug up by humans. So without that initial boost, then civilization wouldn't be able to get anywhere. So that's why it's so important that I do this. And people are like, you know, as he's getting older and struggling to do this every day, um, you know, why are you doing going to all this trouble? And Biaka explains, because I'm Earth's last astronaut and working towards a future full of science is my job. Um, so it seems but by this point in the flashback, he's the last one of the expedition that's left alive. He doesn't look quite that old, but well, disease and all that shit. Probably wiped out everyone else. And also there was that one idiot who capsized the boat when they set off. Um, and so he says, I'll pay all this forward to the next astronaut. And we see intercut between Senku, you know, counting the seconds in his mind. Byaka was continuing to work, gathering all this metal up just to fit into this one little bottle. And he would tell people, of course, hey, when I die, put this in that big all round thing over there. And eventually... Byakia, you know, got bold and he collapsed in the river uh, after he, while he's continuing to work. And he says to himself as he falls forward and he's taking his last breaths, he says to himself, how lucky I fell forward and the water's surface is reflecting the stars. It's no big deal if I'm not the one to gaze upward again. He thinks with his final thoughts, Senku. And then he dies. And there is a brief little moment of, you know, Senku just kind of realizing everything that his father did. Um, and then he's uh, and again, kind of drives the point home where he just says, while well, you were counting the seconds in your mind, your father spent decades gathering this sand. How alike the two of you are. Senku just kind of like, he's like, yeah, yeah, even though we're not related by blood. And Suika says, wait, does that mean he wasn't really your father? 
And Senku says that all Byaku would tell me is that I was his good friend's kid. I never found out the particulars, and I didn't care much. Chris, I'm going to make a little prediction here. Okay. Senku's dad caused the petrification beam. Okay. Because they have alluded to his actual biological father. Therefore, his biological father has to be important now. He's a shonen jump protagonist, Chris. <laughs> I I would love it. But there's a part of me that also remembers how fucking insignificant of a plot point it was that uh, Haruma's dad was never around. Like, it was a quiet, like, sub storyline that did eventually get addressed, but it was never a big deal. His dad never. His dad was good at chess, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, it never turned out like his dad wasn't like fucking Eli Manning or some shit like that. And they're like, oh, okay. Now well, it makes sense. That's why the New York Giants are so important. That, that's why they're the greatest team of, in all time when you look at just Ice Shield 21. <laughs> uh, so I, I, maybe there's, I mean, maybe it's just because we're also dealing with all the Ray from Star Wars bullshit, but I'm also still like, I kind of hope we don't find out who his parent like i hope it's just not a significant thing like exactly as senku said where he's like i don't really know i never found out particulars and i didn't really care like yeah he then goes on to say those kinds of things don't matter and gen agrees they don't matter at all now they're referring to the fact that byakuya and senku are not related by blood but it's it also kind of cares kind of like, who cares who my who my biological father is you know byakuya was my real dad it's like yeah, but why are you bringing up who he is? Anyway, they got some platinum. They got a good amount of it. It's enough almost to fill up a beaker of it. So definitely not an insignificant amount considering how absurdly rare it is. And and Senku decides to mark this occasion by saying he's going to whip up the ultimate revival fluid. And he puts the beaker full of platinum dust in his fucking mouth. Handle that more safely, you idiot. He's like... Ah, chew crunch. Oh, now I've swallowed broken Dad. glass and all the platinum. Dad, I'm so I'm so grateful to you for all that you've done, gathering this dust up for me. <laughs> Dad, I'm also sorry. I'm a bit of an idiot. It turns out. <laughs> I should not have done that. That made my ear pop. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so I already tweeted about this on Twitter that this is an extremely beautiful chapter. Um that just captures everything that, that this series and Inagaki manages to do so well that he manages to get, like get these kind of awe inspiring moments out. Like the, as Byakuya is laying in the river dying, how he thinks about, Oh, well at least I get to look at the stars one more time, you know, in their reflection. And it's fine that I'm not the one who gets to gaze upward as he thinks so passionately and so confidently about Senku, how he's like, I know Senku is going to do this. Like that kind of trust that exists there and that confidence. It's it's yeah. so welcoming. Um, it, it, it it's just a great chapter. It's it's very beautiful seeing uh, like the lengths that Senku's father, Bepiaka, was willing to go through, uh, and like giving it a like a kind of final closure there. It's it's extremely nice. All right. 
Let's move on to the seven deadly sins. Let's talk about that. It's going to be chapter 321, The Light. So last time, all of the deadly sins showed up. All of them, Nick. Every single one of them. Yeah, all, all six of the seven deadly sins are here. Uh-huh. So with all the seven deadly sins there, oh, wait, six, uh, they're like, hey, Lodius, what are you trying to do? We're going to help you save your brother. We told you you're going to help out. It's like, no, you, you got to get out of here. And uh, Bond's like, what, did you, did you come back from purgatory just to commit suicide with the princess? No, you came to live your life with her. And there's like a joke that Gouther's just like, yeah, so like if you fall, it, we, we'd have to solve things anyway. And I guess the joke is that he doesn't get that there's a romance between the two of them. I don't know. It, there's a joke about him being really oblivious, but I was like, he makes a very good point that if you die, yeah, it's very gonna, pragmatic. Actually, <laughs> we're gonna have to fight him anyway. So, uh, it's it's you know we get a whole kind of collage of all the different characters saying things. Like Merlin's like, you know, I've deceived gods before, but so does I don't really mind trying to kill one either and everything like that. Um, and they're like, okay, cool. So I'm in your debt. And there is a moment that's kind of nice where Elizabeth's like, you guys like understand where he's coming from he loves you guys so he just doesn't want you to get dragged into this i kind of like that that conflict shows up like why didn't you bring us like no you gotta get out of here ends with like everyone kind of like happily being like oh right there's like a perfectly understandable reasoning for both sides of this argument right you know i'd rather uh live together than die alone so uh at that time the demon lord starts uh, going into his like WWE Bray Wyatt promo, he's like, "I'm death, I'm fear, endure to the light of what remains of your fire into the flames of wrath that will crush my enemy." John Cena, I will lose to you on the pay per view. <laughs> I will lose to you on the SmackDown before and the Raw after. But know that the demon still lurks in your mind. He's like, what? <laughs> you know what he needs to do in order to, su to succeed, Chris? He needs to be a weird children's show host who then puts on a creepy mask. <laughs> Somehow that's worked. Uh, Somehow that's worked infinitely better. better. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when the story nods out, like, Seth Rollins, <laughs> you may have gotten the better of me at No Mercy, Unforgiven, and SummerSlam. <laughs> But, <laughs> but six months later, and with the I'm still booked. <laughs> with the sole victory of defeating Heath Slater on a main event, main event. <laughs> I, I am now, now a six-time twenty-four-seven champion. <laughs> after winning a five-man battle royale to determine who would face you at the next pay-per-view. Lo and behold, Bray Wyatt is still here again, ready to challenge. It took me having three interference spots, but I did it. <laughs> it may have taken everyone else to eliminate strong. Uh, Alright, so yeah, he takes the pieces of Indula, he makes himself even stronger, and Merlin's like, oh, okay, that's his, his ability. The ruler, you know, any weak, any attacks that would weaken him. We we know this already. He has this ability that if you, anything that would attack him, he can revert it basically to make him stronger instead. And we know that Bond. Big shoulders are. Yeah. And we know that Bond has a way to counter that by giving him something and kind of doing the inverse or like throwing a, a phoenix down a zombie in Final Fantasy. But he could turn it off at the same time. So Elizabeth 
fires office magic and he's like ha 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 and he turns it on and uh like immediately like she snaps and like makes it evaporate and then merlin's attack just goes through and hits him in the face he's like oh curses uh but they're like hey so we're not gonna win this fight this way Gauther, you need to take the captain to infiltrate his mind and free Zeldris, which is a very good use of everyone's powers. But the Demon Lord's really strong. Like, even Melodius was having mm-hmm. trouble handling him alone. So, like, I don't know how we're going to be able to do this. Like, we're taking... It's taking everything to hold him back right now. And now we would have to... Not only would we lose the captain, but we then have to put even more effort into protecting Gauther and the captain from being attacked. So... There's a big moment where the demon lord goes to swing his sword, and Melodius looks like he's ready to defend himself, but then there's a swing, and we just see Escanor holding his hand and just blocking the blade. It's high noon, everybody. Well, not quite high noon, but it's daytime. (laughs) It's it's daytime, indeed. Uh, This chapter really gives the kind of a feel of like, it's time for all of your favorite moments from the Seven Deadly Sins. All your favorite techniques are here in one album. Uh, Maybe something more dramatic will happen, but it definitely feels like it's just the hits right now. So uh, maybe it'll end that way, honestly. But maybe we'll get something more, you know, dramatic and stuff. Yeah, I I think there's there's a lot of potential for stuff to still happen. I do like Escanor showing up like we kind of knew he was going to. But it's it's nice seeing like, oh, I guess here's basically like their trump card now. Like who can hold off the Demon King for long enough for Gauther to free him? It's like, oh, King at high noon, I guess, is the best shot they're going to have. <laughs> it's a cool thing. All right. Let's move on to the Promised Neverland. Chapter 144. Help us. We get a little bit of a flashback with Sanju and Mujika where they realized that they were being followed. Um, and the only oh, the only really important thing that comes from this is that, you know, Mujika's like, well, maybe they're not targeting us. And Sanju's like, yeah, it's hard to say. Let's wait and see. If they're pursuers, I'll do what I always do. I'll kill them instead. And then we catch up to the point where he has Jin uh, held at his spear point, And he's just like... Hey, if you leave right now, I'll, I'll let you live. Uh, and Hayato reacts and immediately goes like, oh, no, Jin. And immediately Aishi, who he had, you know, taken prisoner, just face plants him into the ground. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> uh, Jin then also sees a bunch of the Lambda guys collapse. And Sanju reassures everyone saying, he's like, no, nah, it's OK. Yeah. He's just put them to sleep for a little bit. We see that in the instant that he appeared uh, behind Jin, he knocked them all on the back of the neck with the butt of his spear along the way because he's just that absurdly fast. But, uh, you know, Jin refuses to back down as um, Soji has him at spear point. He's like, even if I die, I can't give up. And he actually latches his hands around the blade of the spear. And he shouts out to everyone saying, I don't care if you take me out too, just kill him. And all of the land of soldiers come rushing in. Aishi shouts out a warning saying that they're irregulars. Uh, Sonju has to dodge out of the way from some of the attacks. And he just says, you know, I don't care what you guys are. If you lay a hand on Mujika, I'll beat you to a bloody pulp. And one of the Lambda soldiers goes, 
And then they all grab their heads and start spasming and collapse. And so it's just like, what? What, what, what just happened? And uh, Jin and Hayata realize that they are suffering from seizures and Mujiga rushes into action right away. She starts tending to one of them, clutching his head, and she says, one of them's not breathing. I need my herb pouch. Uh, and so she's like, Mujiga, um, what, what are you doing? <laughs> but Sanju says, they're humans. If we don't act now, it'll be too late. And uh, yeah, the, the, she starts trying to tend to them. And Hayato makes a decision and says, we've got to get them their medicine because it's a seizure specific to people from Lambda. And he begs Jin, come on, we're not going to be able to do this. We've got to get them their medicine. Let's surrender. And uh, they do so. They're, we just cut ahead to later after they've been treated. All the Lambda soldiers plus Jin and Hayato are on, on their knees bound with Sanju looking over them. And uh, Mujika is uh, speaking with Donna, Gilda, and Aishi. And we get this brief explanation from Donna, Gilda. They just, they, it's just, it's an interesting shot of just the two of them uh, talking to her. And they're surrounded by flashback images to say, like, this is what you have missed to this point, kind of thing. Um, and, and uh, Mujiga asks at the end of it about the Imperial capital, because that's where Norman is headed. And uh, Gilda starts go- is about to continue the story, but then she realizes, oh, Norman was going to kill them. And I get the impression as they go through this realization, uh, you know, remember of the, as they remember all the stuff that Norman told them and you know, saying, oh, I want you to find and protect them. She realizes everything was a lie. Norman's only decision from the beginning was to make the demons go extinct. He had no intention of waiting for Emma. He was going to kill them, and she starts crying. I get the impression as she goes through this that Don and Gilda knew what was going on, but were in denial over it. Because we saw them when they when Norman first started saying this, and they were suspicious of him. I get the impression that they just really did not want to believe that their very good friend would turn out to be a murderer. Mm. So, uh, Gilda apologizes for everything, uh, for her brother essentially doing this for him being a genocidal warmonger. And she says, I want to stop Norman. Please help all of us. We cut to Norman's base and Ray is talking to himself. The only audience worthwhile of being spoken to. <laughs> Who else would I speak to? There is no intellectual equal to the Ray. Oh, hi, Emma. <laughs> oh, what's up? So he explains, he recaps what has happened. And then he's like, so that's all the information you wanted to know. Were you able to make a new promise? And Emma's there. She's gotten back as well. And Emma's like, yay. And everyone can escape to the human world. No one will be killed or pursued. And everyone's like, yay. And Ray's like, okay, what about the reward? Oh, you don't get that one, Ray. Oh, no, no. I always get a reward. Bing, hashtag Ray. <laughs> but um, he asks about the reward that Lea demanded. And Emma's like, that was okay, too. I'll tell you later. <laughs> and Ray's like, okay. Anyway, <laughs> this, this definitely isn't something to be concerned about, Chris. It's fine. <laughs> That's where Emma's like, don't worry about it, right? And then he like 
Ray just gets closed up in a jar. She's like, I'm sorry, the reward was you. <laughs> and he's like, I wanted to see this hashtag, Ray. <laughs> 20 minutes later, take it back. Take it back. You give promise. Take it back. No, Holy no, no, shit. The reward can't be refused. <laughs> no. <laughs> no take backs. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> they like end up in the human world and Ray's like, and now to celebrate by playing Fortnite. No, no, my account's been hacked. No. <laughs> Why? <laughs> There's no reason to keep going. <laughs> All of my gold rewards or whatever they're called. <laughs> I had so many pinatas, I think. I don't really know what your Fortnite currency is. <laughs> I played it when it wasn't the battle royale mode. Now I will be, now I'll have to give up my throne to Ninja. Is Does Ninja play this game? I don't know. <laughs> is Marshmallow a dude who plays it? <laughs> anyway. With with Mujica and the kid and the Don and Gilda, Mujica agrees that they'll go to the Imperial capital as well. And Gilda's like, wait, what? But you've been running away. And Mujica's like, no, you come on, let's go. I want to prevent the war. And we're friends. And she says, also, it'd be interesting to go to the Imperial. And Sonji says, you know, it'd be interesting to go to the Imperial Capital right now. So let's go. And basically everyone is heading to the Imperial Capital now. Uh, Norman's group, of course, is on their way already. All of the demon lords uh, are on their way. Uh, Emma and Ray are setting off uh, from Norman's base as well. And then, of course, Sonju and Mujika with Don and Gilda and Aishi are on their way. So all of the groups are coming together. It seems as though Promised Neverland is starting to get close to its big finish now. Mm-hmm. So all the pieces are heading towards the big climactic confrontation. It's going to be very exciting. As for this chapter, um, there's a lot of just kind of not even exposition, just like a bunch of catching up between characters. It was really weird to go from, oh, something's going to happen with Sanju Mujika with all these people hunting them down. To, yeah, they had seizures and they tied them up. There you go. Right. Okay. Uh, Sanju's super duper cool. Yep. But I'm sure that the you know actual confrontation is going to be happening at the uh, capital. So. Black Clover. All right. Let's talk about Black Clover, Nick. <laughs> Hang on a sec. Page two fourteen. Dawn. Right. So, uh, the elf magic was broken. So all the elf souls are headed back into the afterlife. But wait! Rades is like, the fuck you do, boy? And he uses his soul abductor magic to take the soul of Patry and bring it back down into the realm of the living and place it back inside his clone body. He's like, hey! You don't get to go back into the afterlife. You have to make up for all the things that you did. You know, so, duh, there. <laughs> and he, he did it, basically. So he brought Patry back, and I was like, you know what? Now, this is kind of interesting. There, this, is a, this is a two-sided issue for me. For one thing, it is going from, like, and now everyone is saying to the afterlife, goodbye, goodbye. And then he goes, no, not you specifically. <laughs> but there are a couple of different moments that you that uh, follow up from this 
that I like, which we'll get to. And also there is just the general idea of, ah, Bopatri now has to actually deal with the fallout, the consequences of his actions. He was misled when he did these things, but he did choose to do a lot of awful things. And now he has to live with the things that he did. And there is no getting out of facing the consequences for what he did. There's there's not really a character in Black Clover who kind of has to deal with the fact that they've done kind of horrible things. Everyone's a, a pretty innocent, noble character all the way through, except a couple of like the nobles. And we really haven't had to see them pay ramifications for what they do. Right. We just assume they don't also uh, like... <laughs> Like but Chris, the, the, the Noelle's siblings love her now that she's, you know, Worth good at magic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the lesson we should learn. But no, it's interesting because you're like, oh, Patrick killed the Wizard King. Like, he changed irrevocably the way that this kingdom is going to go moving forward. Yeah, so they talk gonna... about this chapter like, oh, someone's going to have to be the new Wizard King. We're going to have to make changes. It's it's going to be a lot of interesting stuff. So, you know, I think it's pretty exciting because we got some really interesting stuff to deal with there. Uh, we do see that Rhea, not Rhea, yeah, Rhea, uh, Rhea, uh, whatever the other two are, are like, so we she still doesn't have a top, by the way. Yeah, no, well, I mean, come on. They've been here for like 20 minutes. Someone has a coat. That's no, ridiculous. I mean, we could see Rhea actually right there has a coat. He could easily just give it to her. But hey. Uh, <laughs> Might as well leave her topless. Uh, there is a very sweet moment, though, where we see William actually get to embrace Patry. And for somebody yeah. whose soul has been kind of, uh, like, entwined with with Patry all this time, the two of them actually get to touch one another and exist in the same world together. Make it's a out. Very nice thing. Yeah, you know what? Look, there's going to be some dojinsi Make out. about that. Uh, honestly, I'll we'll be honest. This does actually really help to redeem the whole Patrick thing for me. Seeing this woman, being William, just be like, "This is my closest. You're my closest friend, and now like, I can actually, you know, physically touch you. You're actually here, and we can, you know, talk to each other. And so it's cool. Yeah. Anyway, it's very nice. Uh, Patrick says, "Like, hey, I know this is a selfish request, but I want you to take me to Master Julius. Actually, I think it might be William. William. Yeah, William saying that. So they're like, yeah, we got to go see the the grave of the Wizard King. So everyone's like, well, the long fight's over. Uh, We see a bunch of people using their magic to kind of help restore and repair things. Uh, There's a moment then where, like, Moses is healing Asta. And he's like, ah, why does it hurt? And I'm like, because you're an idiot. You're, You're just an idiot when you do this sort of stuff. So, uh, Noel asks who Secre and Lumiere are because they're right there. And he's like, I think Asta is just like, oh, he's the first actual wizard king. You woke up by magic. I'm going to be a fantastic wizard just like you. I, I don't know if anyone ever told the, these things. I think he's just assuming them <laughs> and he's right, <laughs> but I don't. Like, I don't know if anyone actually ever told him these things or if he just figured it out himself. And he turns to Sakura and he's like, you're narrow, right? And your, your dress is really small. Would you like some pants? <laughs> I feel really concerned. Your legs must be cold. None of the girls around here wear pants. They must be cold. That one girl wasn't wearing a top. All you girls are going to get frostbite. <laughs> it's really cold out. Uh, he's like, I always figured you were an awesome bird. You can turn into a human now. That's so cool. And she's like, I didn't turn into a human. I was a human to begin with. 
<laughs> he's like, why didn't you say so sooner? She's like, I couldn't speak until the Shadow Palace appeared. Anyway, you like being the prince, right? So don't be impudent. Uh, so she starts pincing him, and uh, Noelle's like, oh, that spiteful, adorable narrow is, oh, actually, she's adorable this way, too. Uh, basically, uh, Lumiere's like, so, you know, the Wizard King is just a word. You and your friends have shown me that the ideals we've aspired to in this era live on as well. So it's going to be really cool to see which one of you guys will be the new Wizard King. And he starts cracking and falling apart. He's like, yep, the magic that's holding this body together won't hang around any longer. Uh, they they throw a note in there that Mimosa's like, my magic won't help him. Like, oh shit, he's made of stone. But it's for the people out there who'd be like, can't you heal him? He's a stone boy. Uh, in fact, uh, Lumiere's just like... No, because that would require that... Uh, what's her fucking name? Charlotte's lieutenant. Oh, uh, Mars? Yeah. That would require her to do something. Yeah. Can't have... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you make a good point. There are people who have the ability to repair stone. And 100%. If you, if you just told me that Sekre used her power to seal more life force inside of you, it like, makes as much sense as every other application of her power to this point. Or get, you know, Painty McDearface to do something. Oh, yeah, he's like, I paint Paint you him a new body. Yeah. You know what? Saint, not to, to cut ahead. But considering what happens at the end of this, I won't be surprised Might if that as well. happens next week. <laughs> so uh, he's like, hey, Sekre, uh, maybe you're Nero now. Would you continue watching over their futures for me as well? And she's like, no, Like if you're going to go, I'll go too. And he's like, mm, no, I gave everything I had 5,000 years ago. I should have ended then. But it was thanks to you, I was able to protect the future. And that's enough. So I don't want you to like let go of your own potential i'm looking forward to seeing everyone's futures here and both the magic knights and the clover kingdom you defend it's been an honor to see my own descendants i couldn't be more satisfied and secre and lumiere like embrace each other's hands she's you know thanks him for being able to serve him all this time it made me very happy he's like you made me very happy as well thank you for all you've done as he then fades away to dust it was nice to see a moment with a wizard king showing this level of appreciation for someone of a lower class like this. Because we made the whole thing with Zora. I've been like, I respect him, which is why I did nothing. To see <laughs> <laughs> you know, seeing this this guy being like, we saw that these two grew close, but it was it's nice to have this final farewell between them where he's just like, his final moments are spent... Not even showing like this romantic interest, just saying like, thank you for all that you did for me. And then they say goodbye and he fades away and that's it. It's actually really nice. It, it's it's a very great send off to the character and it's a very sweet way to kind of send him off as well, too. Yeah. Uh, so we cut over. Pity that the previous Wizard King didn't have such a great send off, but oh, well, I mean, I guess yeah. that, yeah, this is I what mean, we're doing. Hey, we had to kind of deal with his death and we'll, we'll be dealing with the ramifications yeah. of it to come. Yeah. So Yami For two hits, more pages. Yeah, Yami walks over and leads them over to where uh, the Wizard King's body was, and he's like, "It's gone!" And they're like, "But I know it. It was here. Uh, this magic. It's." And then a figure uh, starts to emerge from the forest. It is like, "Good grief! What a disgrace I was. I'm sorry." Well, don't worry though. I stored up time about thirteen years worth. I think I wasn't sure whether it would activate properly though. 
or not. It was a real gamble. And who should emerge but a 13-year-old Julius Kronos, the former Wizard King. He's alive, Nick. Because why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be alive? <laughs> Isn't it a surprise? God. This is fucking stupid. I was I had that kind of moment where like I, if this had been a physical book I was reading I would have thrown it at the wall when I read this I was so angry <laughs> it's like but Nick you know the Clover Kingdom is full of so many powerful wizards we have a new story that's yeah, imagine imagine all the possibilities you know maybe one of the the captains is going to have to take over think of the possibilities there maybe people will want Yami to take over because he's so powerful and he'll of course want to refuse that responsibility maybe we'll see Fuego Leon move on to, to uh, take up that position so that Mario Leona can still be the captain of of the of the lions maybe it'll be you know like hey maybe fucking uh They'll, they'll talk about, uh, oh, well, you know, the top brigade member was led by uh, by William Vengeance. And he'd be like, no, I can't take that uh, on. You know, I, I betrayed the Clover Kingdom, essentially. Maybe there will be a whole discussion over all this that they'll have to do. And then it's just like, oh, where's the king's back? He's alive. <laughs> Which was the last remaining thing of consequence that happened in this entire arc. Now, I'm going to I'm not going to pretend like oh this is no one grew or anything, no one changed his experience. Obviously some of that stuff happened. But there was a goddamn war between a race involving a race of people that had been genocided out of existence coming back to possess people in order to get their revenge and take over. And as the stabbed a tree with a sword, they all went away. Everyone who's possessed came back except for the people who possessed bodies that didn't have souls in them. So even they don't die. The characters that we knew beforehand are still around now. So that didn't suffer any consequences. Then we get the thing where Patrick is sticking around because he was the only character that we knew beyond this. And then there's the fucking Wizard King who... Him dying was the only thing of note that happened in this entire arc. It was the main thing. And also, Patri being around meant that you would have had to deal with that. Imagine all the stuff that would have happened would be like, hey, it's that asshole who killed the Wizard King. And now Judas would be like, no, nah, I'm fine. It's no big deal. There's no point in being invested in anything in this series. Like, this is ridiculous. This is the point where it's like, now that I've gotten the initial anger out of the way, a day or so after I read this, I was just like, I don't even care anymore. I just don't give a shit. It's I remember when we talked about fairy tale a few years ago, it reached a point uh, when I was catching up for the big episode that we did about that, where I was just like, yeah, it's stupid. I don't care. So none of it really gets me angry, except for you know, particularly dumb moments. But in terms of like stuff having no narrative consequence, all the same stuff happening over and over again. Yeah, fine. That's Black Clover. Who gives a shit about anything that happens if you're going to kill a major supporting character and then immediately just be like, no, it's fine. 
Like, you, you, there's no point in being invested in anything. There's no point in feeling that any character is ever going to be in danger over anything because uh, it, just, it just comes back with magic because magic can do anything. Magic can resurrect the dead. It can turn back time, all this other stuff. So why should you believe, even in, from an in-universe perspective, that anything has permanent consequences? Anyone can heal up from anything. Asa had the whole thing where he had to see you know, get blood magic done to him. And it's like, well, apparently there's all sorts of stuff that can do that. There's someone who can turn back time with the threads of fate. There's someone who can turn back time with a billion different techniques. There's someone who can put stuff into dead bodies. And there's all this other alternate world magic can do anything. So why do you have to believe that anything has consequence? Who cares? Yeah, I mean, it, you, 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 you basically explained it. It's like... This is the only series I think that's ever done a war arc, and the cast has grown larger as a result of it. Like <laughs> nobody died, and they just added like four new characters into the roster. Like the only character who actually died was introduced in the last two like arcs or two months of the series, and he was he had no name. He was the devil. That was uh, he was. Oh, I was referring to Lumiere. Oh, we, we we were introduced to Lumiere years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and then he died again. <laughs> yeah, I don't like because here's the other thing that that has me right now. What's next? Like, legitimately, I I I'm I'm not saying this to try to like be like a gotcha. I'm legitimately curious. Outside of the fact that there is a devil inside of Asta, I don't know what the series does after this because there's no real like lingering plot threads like the mystery of the golden sun captain's done they've already handled all the other kingdoms at this point uh well, they handled the diamond kingdom we haven't they but, seen anything for the spade and heart kingdoms i but, guess but, but <gasps> kingdom hearts <laughs> but even if they were even if they go after those kingdoms where's the threat because the Clover Kingdom is stacked from head to toe with super heavyweights. It's it's just a list of characters here. Like, I don't know how anyone stops these guys. Like, I'm legitimately curious. Like, they either have to time skip, which actually I'm not opposed to. If there's a big time skip after this chapter, like three years or just like that, it honestly might be the best thing this series we could do. All the girls' clothing gets even shorter. I'm like, I don't understand why that would be, you know, whatever. All right. Or you have to go really small. Like, you have to pull back completely, and it's like, oh, we have to find out more about the dwarfs. I guess that's the only other thing, the dwarf thing. Maybe that's it, what they get to. But I'm like, there's no, like, <laughs> other lingering thing, because everything else was put into this arc. And the big, like, change consequence from it is there are four new characters in the world, and the Wizard King is now 13 years old. Well, there was all the stuff that was established that there is like this other world that magic pulls from that's got all these possibilities attached to it. There's the thing where, you know, we don't really know necessarily exactly where Yami's from. They could explore like another continent. There's the other kingdoms that they could deal with. It's a fantasy series. They'll find something to do. And I'm not I don't really think it's going to be like, oh, it's going to go up against a brick wall. It'll go long as I, long I as I don't think it's that. It's just one of those things. Where it's like in terms of like stuff that's been heavily foreshadowed. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, like yeah, we're kind of we're, we've kind of wrapped up a lot of stuff. Yes. I'm like even when the big uh, giant fucking war started, not the big war, but the uh, the invasion of what the, what's the town in fucking Naruto? Konoha. Konoha. Uh, once that like big invasion started with like the Sand Kingdom. They, we still started to get like hints of like Akatsuki 
and we were starting to kind of figure out little details about what was going on in the future. Like, there's always been, like, little stuff that you can kind of tease at and pull at. And here, I feel like we just had to kind of create something completely new, which isn't necessarily a problem, but it just, like, the series hasn't been running that long. So it's like, I don't know. I think I'm just, like, kind of curious what you even do from here, because, fuck, you could just put Finn at the end of this chapter. I'd be like, yeah, it makes as much sense. And then the Wizard King came back. The end. The end. I was like, yeah, I mean, might as well, right? And there's like a fucking like 80s movie, like shake, rattle and roll. And it's just a picture of Asta and it freeze frames. It says Asta and, you know, continue to be rivals for the Wizard King. They they persisted no longer on food. Asta yelled, did a lot of push-ups, didn't didn't understand all the girls that had the hots for him and, and said he was going to be the Wizard King. You know, said he was going to be the Wizard King, and then <laughs> the two of them no and longer stood there looking pretty otherwise. The two of them no longer persisted on food or water, but solely off of one another, telling each other they were going to be the new Wizard King. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's wrap things up with One Piece, Chapter Nine Hundred Fifty: A Soldier's Dream. Uh, so things are kind of calming down a little bit in this chapter after everything has been wrapped up in the prism. Uh, because of, uh, you know, Luffy getting the prisoners to properly riot and join him, kind of. Uh, we see that there's a little bit of actually stuff that's got to uh, be wrapped up there. For example, Eustace Kid uh, has been freed now, and he uses devil fruit ability to get a bunch of metal together to make a huge-ass hand, breaks down a wall, and he leaves along with Killer. Uh, and he says, let's go get our people back. And he thinks to himself, you know, I'm sick of the Alliance. I don't trust anyone. Uh, and uh, he, he thinks to himself also that, you know, hey, consider the gift that I don't kill you right here when referring to Luffy. So Luffy, of course, was weak after everything. He's like, yeah, I'll do you a favor and not kill you right here. So speaking of Luffy. It turns out having a mummy plague virus, yeah, you can't just be a shonen hero and tough your way through it. It does have effects on you. (laughs) He just put on a brave front in front of everybody, and he's got to be taken care of. And, of course, Chopper is putting getting his medicine out, trying to take care of him. I love that, you know, the kids are there. Uh, It turns out them sneaking into the prison didn't really have any consequences at all. Uh, they, They did that so that this next thing can happen. But, yeah, so... Uh, Otama and Momo are there and Otama's <laughs> saying like oh man it was really dangerous so sorry that all this happened big bro but I'm glad to see you're alright and Momo's just like no he's not he's dying <laughs> <laughs> he's not he absolutely not up right right. <laughs> <laughs> which might be my favorite thing that he has ever said actually <laughs> um and he says, you know, it's like, God, you know, Luffy might be stupid, but he's truly extraordinary. I never could have done something like that. And Luffy's like, yeah, well, that's because you're stupid and cowardly and weak and a chicken and totally helpless. <laughs> he's like eight, Luffy. <laughs> Leave him alone. Uh, but um, Otama's like, hey, hey, come here. And she actually like shoves him out in front of the crowd because she knows that they're wait- that they're actually waiting to be addressed by him because he, he's the person they need to see. And sure enough, as soon as he appears in front of them and he's totally unprepared for it, people like start crying. They're, they get on their knees in front of him, bow down, and they're all like, so happy to see that he's alive. And uh, Momo's like, thinks to himself, like, 
the thing that they're not that they're seeing right now is not actually me. They're actually seeing my father. They're seeing the great shadow cast by the Kazuki clan. And but, you know, he feels a lot of pressure in this instance, obviously. So he tries to address them. Uh, obviously, you know, he's very, very nervous. But of course, everyone wants to hear what he says. Um, we see a little bit of playing between Kamatsu and Raizo. Uh, then we cut away from there to, uh, oh God, was it Ashi? Uh, what's the big samurai's name? Ashitaka? Is that it? Asurai Dabo or something like that? I, I, I can't remember exactly what it is. He has led Kinemon and Dogstorm to a massive graveyard. And uh, he explains to them that obviously they were told and you know the legend was that the kozuki clan would return after 20 years but 10 years was as far as we could get they couldn't take it any longer and they headed to onigashima and they all died and we see a flashback of him trying to convince everyone look we've got to wait for kinemon and the others they'll have laura momonosuke with them we've just got to wait and, the, and everyone's like We've, we're all older now after 10 years. If we wait to the full 20, we'll be even older and weaker. Why, how can you keep on telling us to wait? We can't follow Orochi anymore. We've got nothing to eat. We're going to die of illness before we ever even get to step onto the battlefield. And, you know, all this stuff that's happened, Kaido's army has you know, broken our wells, burned our fields. We can't wait any longer. And he kept on telling them, like, no, you're going to throw your lives away. And they're like, we're going to throw our lives away anyway if we have to wait this long. At least let me die with a katana in my hand. If I'm going to die, I might as well be as a samurai. So don't try and stop us. And uh, they talk about how, you know, much energy they had when they were boys, when they could actually do that. And he's like, you know, how can we, you know, we, we've just become cowards who take no risks. And so they're like, leap, leap before you look. Remember our abbreviation of surrender your name and be as a child. Sunachi which I'm sure that makes more sense in Japanese along with a lot of the, uh, of the abbreviations we've seen. This is like platinum all over again from Dr. Stone. But anyway, it's at least a very inventive slogan that they came up with in order to fit it. I think a lot of work went into like trying to make this make sense, so I appreciate it. And so, you know, even as they all sailed off to go into battle, he was calling for them to come back. You're going to die. And sure enough, they all died. And in the present, he's just like, why did it have to be a full a whole 20 years? And Dogstorm says, we will know when the job is done. And Kinemon agrees there must be a meaning to it all. So after all of that, he agrees to help them and says that in eight days, the night of the fire festival, the raid, the, the mission to raid Onigashima and take the heads of Kaido the pirate and Shogun Orochi. Join us if you have what it takes. And all the remaining men under him as, you know, like a bandit leader agree. And uh, so he's in now and he says, you're still the way you were back then. Kinemon. We might have been the same age once, but now we're 20 years stronger. And he kind of brags along with Dogstorm. But it's a little bit awkward because he like embraces Dogstorm. And he's like, eat that right, dog. <laughs> Doggy. Uh. Meanwhile, outside the flower capital, Zoro is still looking after Kamurasaki, uh, defending her whenever fucking ninja to co come to try and assassinate her. Uh, just, you know, get that guy down, get that guy down. 
And uh, she's like, sorry for being a burden. And he's like, don't worry about it. If I let you die, I'd have to answer to Momonosuke. And he's, you know, eight. And, oh, no. Yeah. He's still, of course, missing his third sword, which was stolen. So he's got to get that shit back. And uh, he's like, I've got to do that because the weight on my waist is, is, uh, isn't right. And also, he wants to avenge Tonoyasu's death because it had an impact on him. Uh, Komurasaki says that she wishes that she could kill Orochi herself. And then finally, we cut over to the flower capital where Basil Hawkins has law prisoner. And he's trying to get information out of him regarding what they are planning uh, to do. And uh, Law is there and sees Stone Cuffs looking pretty smug, honestly, for a guy who's about to get the shit beaten out of him. So and that's the chapter. There's a lot of uh, more moving pieces around that happens in this after we had a month or so of uh, action and stuff happening. So, yeah, no, it's it's super good, though. Um, we have a lot of like cool things happening. Uh, we have, I think, a particularly like really good sort of story that happens inside the actual prison. And in this moment, like it's a short story, but it's one of those really good short stories about like the men from Curry who all, you know, decided they were like, we can't wait any longer. We're going to go, but like they do so with pride and it's mm-hmm. absolutely a hundred percent guarantee. There's going to be a moment where a character does a cool like victory and they do like th- this is Sunachi. Yeah, like this is Luffy ringing the golden bell at the end of Skypea kind of moment. Like this is mm-hmm. I feel like is the setup there. So, I like these kinds of things. It's it's really interesting and I think this is a really solid chapter overall. It's it's fine. Uh I definitely really like the flashback the most out of everything in this and I kind of wish more had been dedicated to it because it's just kind of a note amongst a bunch of other notes that happen in this chapter when it feels like more should have been dedicated to it because it's, you know, examining the consequences of this, you know, playing the long game of like you know, 20 years is a long time to have to wait for something. And they're all making really strong points. Like we're getting older and weaker and we're suffering and we're going to die anyway. So we might as well just, you know, go die with the, in a way that we can have pride in. And so, and it's a shame, and it's it really does ex- go to uh, lengths to explain why you know this resentment that Ashura feels to the people who traveled through time and kind of left him to deal with the real world ramifications of that. He had to watch a bunch of his friends die pointlessly because of it, uh, and all the rest of it is just kind of like stuff that happens. Uh, yeah. But. That's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week, guys. We want to thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show on twitch.tv slash RoloT, smashcast.tv slash RoloT. Wednesdays, generally around 7.30, 8pm Eastern Time-ish. Uh, but to stay updated on that stuff and to know exactly when we're going to start the show, you can follow us on Twitter. At WMR Podcast is the official podcast account. At RoloT, at Nick F. Time are your two hosts. If you would like to listen to more of our show, you can go to a bunch of different places. There is iTunes. There is weeklymagarecap.popping.com, YouTube, all that stuff. Like, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. Help the algorithm. Help us beat the woodworkers and become kings of the hobby section. You can also join the Discord server. There's a lot of stuff that you can do on there, including check out the Google Doc maintained by NinjaX3i. 
which has stuff like recommendations, the one that we're currently working on, recommendations that other people have, have nominated that you can also chime in on and say, I also want to see that. So you can see past recommendations we've worked on and you can vote for uh, year-end supplemental rewards and stuff that we might n- mention on the show at the end of the year. And uh, yeah, that's that. Yes, all that. All Special that. thanks to Infamous Planet, to Winsleydale Cheddar, to uh, fucking Steve Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of tired right now for some reason. Everyone who helps us make the show what it is. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Milo Stoltz and My- Winsleydale Cheddar. Yep. Uh, who have made the animation that you guys should be seeing very soon if you haven't already uh, mm-hmm. when the videos go up. Um, by the way, we didn't do our MVPs. Oh, yeah. See, I, I told you I'm tired. Let's do that. Yeah, uh, we'll do this real quick so Nick can get some sleep. Uh, my character of the week is Byakuya from Dr. Stone. And in return, my series of the week is Dr. Stone. Mm. Uh, I have picked uh, Byakuya as well, uh, but I have gone with Samurai 8. Because it uh, definitely stepped up its game this week. So There you go. And the audience picked Byakuya as well, but they went with My Hero Academia as their series. It's also, good. it's also a good chapter. Mm-hmm. All right. That's going to do it for the Kamaka Recap, everybody. Uh, now, we have given you bread, given you peanut butter, and we've given you jelly. Did we give you a peanut butter jelly sandwich, though? Mm. That's the philosophical question you guys are going to have to answer. Come back with us next time. Bye. Some low energy. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Like you're staring into the camera with the weight of uh, o- like Oppenheimer after he like just developed the atomic bomb and saw its use. What have I done? Now we are all assholes. <laughs> <laughs>